Hello and welcome to the History of Vikings. Today I'm joined by Professor Vestin Olesen, former director of the Arne Magesen Institute, the foremost repository of Old Icelandic manuscripts. He is also a retired professor of literature and an author who has written numerous books on literary history and criticism, including the literary history of Iceland. Professor Olesen, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Glad to be with you. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I'm really excited to uh, get into our conversation today. We will be discussing the life and work of Icelandic historian and poet Snorri Sturluson, a name which I know is familiar to many, if not most, of our listeners. But most people listening to this podcast know Snorri through his literary works, namely the famous Prose Edda and Heimskringla, the Old Norse King Sagas. But apart from his literary work, who was Snorri Sturluson? Well, first of all, he was born into a society which was very, very different from ours. It was a society which had actually no executive power, but uh, there were uh, chieftains, power brokers, who had to negotiate among themselves or eventually fight out their differences. And Snorri was born into a family of chieftains, and his father was a rather uh, important man, but making the, his... Um, increasing his power during his days by having fights and uh, conflicts with his uh, neighbors, which he usually sold to his own advantage because he was a very shrewd man. Uh, near the end of his life, uh, this uh, chieftain was involved in a, in a conflict where uh, one of the settle uh, part of the settlement was that his young son, Snorri, only two or three at a time, should be fostered in Oddi where the most powerful chieftain of the country lived at that time, but which was also a, an ecclesiastical center where uh, boys were taught to be priests and where a lot of uh, traditional knowledge was also present. So this was a very important uh, event in the life of Snorri. He was brought up away from his family. That may have had some effect on his character, but uh, instead he was he got the best uh, possible education he could get at that time. Uh, he, uh, it seems that he was not really uh, educated to be a man of the church, at least he never became a man of the church, uh, uh, but he could also learn law at this, uh, this place, but no doubt he has learned some Latin as the boys around him were doing. Uh, a very intelligent man, he would have done that. And, uh, uh, through his through listening to sermons and to having discussions with learned people uh, at this place, he would have developed uh, knowledge of uh, of uh, what was considered uh, general learning at the time. At the same time, there were people in this place who knew very much about old Icelandic and Nordic traditions, and he will have had open ears for this also as his later work shows. Certainly. Well, just to touch on his work and sort of the style of his work briefly, um, Snorri lived during the you know, 12th and 13th centuries. What was sort of the um, religion in Iceland like at the time? Certainly Snorri was of the upper class and that was uh, very much medieval Christian. But amongst the Icelanders themselves, was paganism still very widespread? And in Snorri's work, how does he display his attitude towards paganism uh, that is non-Christian religion? 
I think we can be quite sure that heathenism had been uprooted apart from uh, some what we would call superstitions or uh, some tales and stories about the old gods, but the country had been quite uh, solidly Christian for about two centuries. And maybe at this time, uh, the knowledge about the old heathen things uh, was not considered as dangerous as it, as it would have been in the first century of Christianity by, by the uh, men of the church. But anyway, Snorri seems to have had a very liberal attitude. He was interested in this old war and he collected it and, and later wrote about it. And uh, the usual or a very widespread opinion of the clergy was that uh, heathen gods were actually uh, personifications of Satan and they were devils. But uh, Snorri had another idea an idea which was not unique to, to him, it was also known in Europe that the gods were actually uh, people who had been uh, mistakenly considered to be gods by ignorant uh, people and then gradually stories were told about them and, and so they were elevated to the status of gods. This is called euhemerism, that's what was quite uh, widespread among learned men in Europe at the time. You know, why did Snorri write? Why did Snorri create things such as the Prosetta and Heimskringle and all the rest of his work? Um, why did he do this? Was this uh, sort of a hobby of his? Was this something that he felt he needed to preserve these, these sort of myths and uh, heroic stories? I mean, he was certainly of the upper class and perhaps wouldn't need to be doing this sort of work. But, but why did Snorri write? Yeah, he, he would certainly have had enough to do uh, in, in other, of other things because he was heavily involved in the politics of the time, dealing with other uh, people. He had the highest office in the country as a law speaker, as it was called. That's to say he was um, sort of, he had to speak out the law or read the law at the General Assembly and people would come to him if there was a dispute about what the law was. So, and he was also amassing wealth and power during his young years. But he must also have been very interested in literature, and he didn't enter into a vacuum there. People had already begun to write the stories of the, of the kings of Norway and other things. So actually around 1200, literature was developing rapidly in Iceland. We can imagine or postulate that the reason for Snorri's great activity is that he, for one thing, he was interested in these things and, and he loved to do this, which he could do very well. But he also may have wanted to use it as a tool to increase his importance at the Norwegian court by writing new versions of the stories of the Norwegian kings, versions that would be livelier, more impressive, and more and become more popular then, than... Uh, the writings that had been written before. His main source for this uh, uh, writing, this historical writing, a source which had been used somewhat before, but which he used more and more better and more consistently than any other, was skaldic poetry, a very intricate poetry that uh, was preserved with memories of the things that had been happening in Norway and Iceland. And uh, to make people understand this, po this poetry, it was 
probably his idea he could help them or also help new people to write such poetry by writing a sort of a textbook about the poetic diction and about meter. He soon found out when he was doing this that the old gods are very much part of the poetic imagery of this poetry and so it's actually impossible to understand much of the figurative language unless you know a lot about the old gods. And so he wrote this presentation called Gilva Ginning, Deception of Gilvi, mm-hmm. at the beginning of his work Snorretta, which otherwise is, uh, could be called poetics. Earlier you mentioned the Norwegian court, and that's something I've heard mentioned when talking about Snorri before. So could you maybe um, share your expertise on that a little bit? What did Snorri have to gain from dealing with the Norwegian court? Why was he there? And what politically, how did that relate to, to Iceland? Yeah. <clears throat> from the Viking age, it had been a tradition that the Icelanders who traveled abroad, they went to kings and, and wanted to be accepted at courts to increase their honor. It was not so easy in Iceland where there was no king and no real aristocrats to increase one's honor by the company one kept. And so when they went uh, abroad, they could increase their wealth by trading, they could increase their honor by engaging in some warfare that they would come uh, victorious from, with luck. And then the best thing to gain honor was to be accepted at the court of a king. And uh, one of the means of uh, getting in there was making a praise poem about the king. And such praise poems were actually it's not his main sources, as I mentioned. This was a special craft that originated in Norway, probably in the ninth century, but was uh, soon and gradually and, uh, and uh, taken over by the Icelanders. Uh, and so, <clears throat> in Iceland, in Snorri's time, there were great conflicts. There were a few families, powerful families, who were gather, gathering wealth and, and power, and they were in conflict among each other. And for such a family or a chieftain, it would be a great help to, uh, to be the courtier of the king. And so Snorri was one of the very first who were accepted as courtiers of the Norwegian king. But uh, of course, a courtier has duties to his king. It's a personal relationship that as uh, everywhere in the Middle Ages. And so the king expected Snorri to make the Icelanders more obedient to him. Actually, the king wanted to become the king of Iceland too, which he in the end became, but uh, only 20 years after Snorri's death, because Snorri was not an effective agent for the king, maybe because of his nature as a politician, but also no doubt because he thought that it was best to not to have too much interference from the king. It's like people... Uh, want to avoid um, the central authority, the police, or the or whatever in, in our times. So the Icelandic chieftains wanted to gain support from the king when they needed it, and they wanted to gain prestige and honor by being the king's men, but they also wanted to be free to do as they like out in Iceland, more free than the chieftains in Norway were. And this is likely to have been the main reason why many or several Icelandic chieftains sought entrance to the court. And then 
in the event the king played them out against each other and uh, as a part of this power game Snorri was killed in 1241 by one of his uh, competitors as under former son-in-law actually. Interesting, interesting. So the last question I'll ask about Snorri's literary work is this, you know, uh, Snorri's, he, he wrote a lot during his lifetime and and this is a rather broad question, but sort of generally, if possible, how, how should we view Snorri's work? I mean, can these sources be used? Um, I should say, should these pieces of literature, such as, say, Heimskringla, should these be used as a source of history for the Viking Age? Should they be treated as more of a historical fiction or, you know, historical documentation? Sort of how should we view Snorri's work? Yes. Yeah, to begin with Heimskringla, it's obviously more like a, a modern historical novel than uh, academic historical work nowadays. Uh, nevertheless, it, it, it contains a lot of information where, which cannot be gathered elsewhere. And Snorri uh, was uh, clever in his use of this poetry and uh, tried to uh, have some, some uh, critical sense, some critical methods, which he describes in his uh, uh, prologue to the, to the work. But his work is, it, it, uh, it affects one as more trustworthy than other king sagas. But this may not be uh, because it is more trustworthy in actual fact, but because Snorri is a very clever writer and he does much to, to explain the motivation of what is going on, to explain why uh, people do as they do and this to, to do this he uses mainly two means he uses dialogue dialogue where people uh, argue and explain uh, what they want and, and what they do not want and then at some very critical moments he uses long speeches speeches made by a king or a king's adversary a speech that uh, outlines the ideological differences that are at play, where the king uh, is trying to strengthen his power and where the chieftains uh, who he bases his power on also want to retain as much of their independence as they can. In this uh, description of the Norwegian, of Norwegian politics, Snorri probably was very much colored of his own experiences in Iceland and therefore he probably was not aware of all things that have been had uh, been changing and developing in Norway uh, since the Icelanders left uh, some hundreds of years ago, and so he interpreted from a certain point of view, which may have been and no doubt was different from uh, the, the one of the of the Norwegian kings and, and politicians. But because he does this so cleverly, he was such a clever, good author, masterly author, and could. Uh, not only uh, express uh, motives and, and uh, feelings in the dialogues and the speeches I mentioned, but also make this all come alive through descriptions of character, of the setting of, of, of things, etc. So he was actually a very effective story writer, and uh, thus he can make us feel that his story must be true, although that may not be the case always. Fascinating. Well. Um, the last question I'll ask you is, um, you know, you mentioned sort of the assassination of Snorri um, briefly, but 
sort of on top of that, what was Snorri's, what, what sort of no, noble line did Snorri come from? And what was sort of the Sturlung family's influence in medieval Iceland like? Mm. Yes. I'd just like to say one thing about uh, Snorri's Edda before, because it's a very different work from, from Heimskinla, although it uh, draws on many of the same sources, but it is very original in thought. And unlike all other both uh, poetics and uh, treatises about uh, heathen mythology in other countries in the Middle Ages. But Snorri, I said, Snorri's father was a local chieftain and his uh, area of influence was not very wide, although he widened it a bit. When, but he had three very, very gifted sons with his uh, last of several wives. And these sons uh, succeeded in relatively quick time to be the most influential men in, in uh, say, half of Iceland or two-thirds of Iceland. Uh, and so <coughs> uh, Snorri came, was the youngest, but he uh, became uh, richer and more influential than the others. He wanted to increase his uh, uh, power by uh, marrying off his daughters to men of other uh, very good families, and he did so, but these marriages broke down and the sons-in-law turned against him, also because of, of this competition about who was to be uh, maybe the leading person uh, in, in Iceland. And so when Snorri went to, he went to Norway twice. And uh, when he came first, the king of Norway was only a teenager and his father-in-law was really the dominant uh, person at the court. And Snorri became very, very, friendly with this man was more his age but when he came back uh, in the 1237 uh, things were changing in Norway and uh, his uh, the father in law of the king had tried to uh, to take more power than the king wanted and there was conflict between them and Snorri was on the wrong side of the conflict and so the king forbade all Icelanders to leave uh, for Iceland before these uh, conflicts were resolved but Snorri went to Iceland against this, uh, this ban, and so uh, the king sent a message to one of Snorri's former uh, sons-in-law, uh, take Snorri and uh, either send him to me in Norway, or if he doesn't want to go, then kill him. Uh, the son-in-law knew that Snorri was a very persuasive man, and he probably was not interested in sending him to the king, so he took the second option and came with uh, several men to Snorri's place on the 23rd of September, 1241. And they came at night and they took Snorri and they beheaded him. How interesting. Well, Professor Olison, thank you so much for joining me today. This is a topic I've wanted to discuss on the podcast for quite some time, and I've certainly learned a great deal. Thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you. I'm very happy to be with you.